Hi guys, and welcome to this edition of How to Wow, starring Erica Davis and brought to you by M&S Plant Kitchen. M&S Plant Kitchen launched in 2019 when their first vegan-friendly range took the meat-free world by storm. Exactly. And now, my friends, there are 100 plant kitchen products to choose from, which is excellent news for my family. As back in March, my wife, Tequila Tash, and I decided to go all-in plant-based. We were in Los Angeles running our very own made-up marathon as we were due to run the Tokyo Marathon, which was cancelled due to, well, you know what. But we'd done the training, I'd booked the time off work, and we had arranged, we had arranged extensive international childcare. You see, the thing is, eating plant-based in California has traditionally been much more of a thing than here in the UK. But that's all changing, and changing at a pace. Da-da-da! Introducing the M&S Plant Kitchen. No chicken nuggets. They look like chicken. They smell like chicken. They're finger-licking like chicken, and they taste like chicken. At least as far as I can remember. It's been a while, but hey, don't take my word for it. Cut to my second eldest son, Eli, in the Evans plant kitchen. Eli, what's going on with the no chicken nuggets? Oh, they look like chicken, they smell like chicken, and they taste like chicken. Oh, they must be chicken. Oh, no, they're not chicken. Told you. And he's had actual chicken a lot more recently than me. But that story's for another day. Sticking with the no chuck chuck chicken now, there's also the delicious, and I mean mouth-meltingly delicious No Chicken Kiev. M&S Plant Kitchen's most successful vegan launch ever, with one being sold every four minutes. There's probably one outside your window right now. Take a look. Largely because of their indulgent garlic filling waiting to explode in your mouth underneath that coating of crunchy golden breadcrumbs. I want one now. And then there's the kiddies' favourite, Plant Kitchen Cauliflower Popcorn, which we paid our kids in to do this. Plant Kitchen! Plant Kitchen! I think it could be a hit. Other scrummy treats include PK Posh Hot Dogs, PK Green Thai Curry and the to-die-for PK Coleslaw Salad, the first ever vegan coleslaw to hit supermarket shelves in the UK. Wow! Talking of wow, it's time now to how to wow. Thank you, MNS Plant Kitchen, for helping make this show happen. So, Erica, first of all, describe yourself to an alien. That's such a good question. I always think, how would I describe what I do to my grandmother, who is now no longer with us and wouldn't have a clue what I do? She might now be an alien. <laughs> yes. I would say I was a print journalist focusing on fashion. So I was a fashion editor for a long time. Now I've created my own fashion channels on digital. So I guess I'm a digital content creator, which means to the alien that I share uh, clothes and ideas and inspiration from the high street or from the world of interiors. And I photograph them and I write about them on social media platforms such as Instagram. Right, so that's, that, that's the current Erica Davis, the musical, the West End musical. <laughs> it's not right. pretty much of an elevator pitch, though. It was a bit waffly. No, but the point is, the point is, 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 look, you have become qualified to do that, but your qualifications are much more far-reaching. So as a kid, right, mm -hmm. as, a, as a little Erica, you know, first posters on the wall, first fashion icons may have been whom? It was all the supermodels. So it was the Cindy Crawfords, the Helena Christensen's, the Christy Turlington's. I was obsessed, obsessed with fashion magazines. And I grew up on the Wirral, not that far from where you grew up. Um, 
And it was just such a huge leap from me in Birkenhead thinking about all these people that worked in the fashion arena and this glamour and the, you know, the, the clothes and the makeup. But yeah, I used to rip out adverts. I used to put them in clip frames on my bedroom wall. Um, I used to have scrapbooks. I just, I was obsessed. It just, I just loved it. And th- those names that you mentioned there, you know, they were models before, the, the, you know, like Jean Shrimpton and yeah. um, and and Mary Quant yeah. and people like, she was a designer, designer wasn't she, Mary yeah. Quant, but Jean Shrimpton, you know, the Mary 60s. Helvin. Yeah, and yeah. the 70s as well. But they, 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 they were the original supermodels you just mentioned. It's like mentioning the Beatles, isn't it? Or, it or is. the Eagles. Yeah. You know, so how old were you then? Were you in your teens then yet to hit your yeah, teens? probably late sort of 12, 13, 14. And how did you access their world then? So via magazines, yeah. so you'd read the magazines, you'd look at the pictures, and then what? Then how would you feel? What would you do next? Well, there was nothing else. There wasn't social media accounts then, so you couldn't dive and do a deep dive on their Instagram accounts and look at what their homes looked like and what their wardrobes looked like, or there wasn't MTV Cribs, so I didn't know what their homes looked like. So it was very much this kind of glamorised perception of what I assumed their lives would be like. And I guess for me, it was the ideas that I took from looking at those pictures. So it was the way that they put clothes together. It was the way that they, you know, their off-duty style and all all of those stories that you'd see in the papers and in the Sunday supplements that I just used to be utterly absorbed by. It's funny, isn't it? Because I, 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 a lot of this sort of resonates with, with me because you, we, we knew so little about what was going on behind the curtain, as it were, that our imaginations ran riot, which was fantastic, wasn't it? So you, we had no idea, you know, your Christy Turnington's, or, or for me, it'd be like your Kevin Keegan's or yes. whoever. And you think, and you, just, yeah. you just imagine they must have the most glamorous lifestyle in the world from morning to night, from their waking moment to putting their head on the pillow again at night time, even when they're dreaming. Yeah. You know, and, and it was like a... Every thought about all our icons was a firework display of wonder. And I wonder whether now, actually, that's totally popped that bubble because we know too much. <laughs> and so so out, of, out of all of them, who would you say? Who, top three? Helena Christensen, Christy Turlington, Linda Evangelista. Why, why those three particularly? They just epitomised everything that was glamorous. Naomi Campbell, too, because I just thought she was amazing. So yeah. if I can have part four. Okay, and so 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 that, did you want to be them? Did you want to oh, dress no. like them? Did you want to dress them? Did you want to inhabit that world? Were you trying to escape? Just tell us about you know why why you connected with them so concretely. I don't think it was any of those things. I just thought that they were. I definitely didn't want to escape. I definitely I didn't necessarily want to be part of that world because you already had that sense that it was almost otherworldly. Yeah. I think it was probably this idea that fashion existed and there was a spectrum and you could see that from the magazine. So if they were at the high end of it, what was the low end of it? You know, what was the middle part of it? What was, where could you go? Because I assumed that you didn't have to just jump straight in to be at their level. Mm. So there'd be this sort of process and this, because fashion was just I loved clothes and I loved shopping and I loved putting outfits together. So it was how could I get onto that spectrum and try and create my own niche, really. So do you remember the first time you went in a clothes shop on the Wirral, wherever it may have been, with some pocket money or with some money you'd earned and you really made a a decision, a purchase that began to change your life? What might that have been? Where might that have been? How much might that have cost? Um, I remember obsessively looking at 
either magazines or TV shows. And there used to be a TV show called Blossom. And it was on Channel 4, I think, at six o'clock on a Friday or something. And she had the most amazing patchwork jacket on. And I remember finding a picture of that and going out and trying to replicate this jacket. So I used to go to a shop in Liverpool called Quiggins, which is no longer there. And they it was like a secondhand emporium. I spent hours, hours and hours and hours. And I just remember my heart racing and just the excitement of, I don't know what I'm going to find here, but it could be that jacket or it could be something else that's amazing. But I love this feeling. And where did you get the cash from at the time? Babysitting money. Right. So I used to babysit for loads of families. I used to work in a barber shop on a Saturday morning washing hair. And yeah, I was always quite... um, I wanted to work to earn money to pay for clothes. Isn't it funny, though? Because I think that if you're blessed with the work gene, because I was blessed, I am blessed with the work gene. I love working. People say, you've got a great job. Yeah, but I, I you should be a new teacher. I used to think, no, no, it's not about working hard. It's just like, I did, well, it doesn't feel hard. Yeah, because I love, love it. it, you know. So I used to fit car windscreens. You know, I used to be a maggot farm. I used to do all these different <laughs> things. But I always love work, and I always will love work. And I think that if you you can be blessed with many things in life, but I think if you're blessed with, you know, wanting to work, regardless of what the job may be, to interact with other people, to find out other things, to earn a few quid, um, to give yourself the chance to save up for something, or to think about saving up for something, or save up for nothing, yeah. then that is that is that is definitely something that you are born with. And definitely, you, you've got it, and it's so obvious you've got it. And you'll all, the thing is, we'll always have it. Nobody yeah. can take that away from us. That feels good. It does, and I think it comes alongside a can-do attitude. So you've just talked about working on a maggot farm. I was prepared to do anything. I was prepared to go make tea anywhere. I remember writing letters when I was at university to magazines and TV shows to ask for fashion assistant work. And I'd get rejection letter after rejection letter. And I used to write back and say, thank you so much for saying no. If you ever have anything that comes up, I'm here and I'm available and I'm very happy to make tea. You know, and it's just having that can-do attitude. And I hope to God that I instill that in my children because it's so important. I think you can do anything if if you're doing it with a smile on your face and you're prepared to... To help people. Right. Now, I might be as annoying as you where that's concerned <laughs> about the instilling it into our kids thing because I don't know who instilled it into me. I mean, my mum worked really, really hard. So did my dad. You know, my dad worked really, really hard. My mum worked unbelievably hard. She was a night nurse. You know, she, she brought us up basically single-handedly for, 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 for the, the most important, the most difficult years of our lives, I would imagine, apart from being a baby. You know, often we talk to people in this business about, you know, if they're if they're film directors or actors or musicians, you know, who was it in your life that brought brought this sort of this this uh, this possibility with them? You know, did your love for fashion come from the magazines, come from your own mind, or was there somebody else around? But I would say actually, both my mum and dad both worked full time, both had come from um, you know not hugely affluent backgrounds. So they worked really hard. Neither of them went to university. So they started working really young. My mum built worked up to becoming a manager at Unilever, which was a um, big place on the Wirral. And my dad worked for Shell at Stanlow, which again was a big industry there. And they so neither of them had that world. And I remember my dad saying to me when I was about to do my A-levels and sort of making those choices, because I'd I'd known that I wanted to be a journalist from the age of nine. I'd said that specifically to everybody. 
because I loved English. I loved writing. Well, hang on. You don't have to be a journalist. But no, but I knew that's what I wanted no, to do. No, it's interesting, but how come you... you I don't know. That's a very interesting thing, isn't it? Why journalism? How did you even know about the world I read of loads. Journalism? I read loads and loads of books. And I, do you remember um, a, a show called Press Gang? Yes, I do. Julia Sawala. It's a great show. That just fired my imagination. Right. Wow. So... So it may have been that. It may have been that. Maybe as simple as a great Dexter TV Fletcher show. Dexter Fletcher might have started it off. I know where he is now. I know. That's in the greatest movies in the world. I know. I wow. know. It's amazing. So you wanted to. So you wanted to be a journalist from the age of nine, and you knew that. I knew that. But how, my sorry, how did you know you knew? Um, it every part of me just was excited about the idea of going out and finding stories and talking to people. Um, the fashion bit came a little bit later, but yes, from nine. That was it for me. I knew. So all my exams, GCSEs, A-levels, everything was pegged on me going to university to do English um, and then getting into work experience. It's funny, isn't it? So words first, but fashion image is second. Yeah. Uh, it's when yeah. two amazing worlds collide. Yeah. So so how was that? How how was how did your sort of um how did your the picture side of your your brain, how did it complement, conflict with, battle against, harmonize with? the word side of your brain. Because I think the magazine thing showed me that you could put the two together. You could be a fashion journalist. You could write about all these amazing things and that could be the focus. So that probably didn't come until I was at university and that's when I started applying for loads of work experience. Right, so so babysitting, right? Yeah. Working in the hairdressers. Yeah. Any other jobs before? Jean shop. Jean shop. Um, Saturday morning assistant? Yeah, Saturday assistant. all of that. Yeah. And then when I was at university, I was waitress. So I've always had part-time jobs, always wanted extra money. <laughs> um, but going back, I, I remember my dad saying to me, because he worked at Shell, he thought I should get an apprenticeship. He was worried about me just going off and doing this kind of strange, intangible job that he didn't really understand down that there London and, you know, trying to come up with something. And he he did say that I should now apply to Stanlow and get an apprenticeship there. Because he was worried about you. He wanted, he knew that it worked for him. So, of course, he wanted something stable and secure for me. I understand that. Right, and you want to instill the work ethic in your kids yeah. now. So it's not dissimilar. No, I know. So let's let's talk about that together as parents. Yeah. Um, it's impossible to, yeah. to, to you, can, you can teach from behind. You can be around doing what you do, hoping that it rubs off on... Your kids, if it's good, if it will benefit them in the end, sometimes it might not. Some some people, especially in our business, the last thing they want their kids to end up doing is what they're doing. Yeah. Because they know that the, the lows that come with the highs and the struggle that comes, um, you know, with the stream, if you like. But sitting our kids down and, you know, having a chat to them, even as I'm doing, I'm thinking, this isn't the way to go about it. You can't tell your kids. You can't. And you you very quickly realise you can't. You should not tell. You should not tell your children anything because they're, no. they're just small grown-ups. So you should yeah. them like small grown-ups. So you then sort of you soften your approach, or you you sort of you know you come in sideways, or you offer things up without them knowing. You leave a book hanging around here. <laughs> yes. or you Say, have you seen this film? This is a, you know maybe it's time for maybe it's time for Wayne's World now. We've done uh, a lot of that over <laughs> lockdown. Yeah. What do you what do you think about our because Nobody teaches you how to be a parent. You can read all the books in the world. No. You never know whether you're no. doing it right or not. How, no. do you think, how is it going for you and the work ethic in your children? It's really interesting. I think um, I read something once or somebody said that you don't own your children. You are almost kind of babysitting them until they go out into the world and all you can hope for 
is that you've instilled in them good values and a, a self-confidence. Yeah. And actually, I know from having conversations with my eight-year-old daughter that she wants to be one thing one day and another thing another day. And I keep thinking back to that nine-year-old me thinking mm. she's only a year away from that. Yeah. And I had decided at that point. But she, you know, one minute she wants to be a hairdresser, the next day she wants to be on the Great British Bake Off. You know, she's she's doing all of these things now. And my son were going through the motions of, is he going to sit, because he's 10, is he going to sit the 11 plus? Do we want that for him? What are we? What are we going to be doing with this? And he's so interested in just being with his friends, and I don't want to stop that either. So there's this real internal dilemma about how far do we push them yeah. in order to achieve the things that we think they need to achieve. There's always that. Uh, there's always that crazy alternative of taking a step back. I know. <laughs> you know I know. Leaving them be. There's always that. Isn't Can there? you do that? Well, I. I think it's. I think ultimately that's our duty. You know, make sure they have got a roof over their heads. Try and get them to eat properly. Try and get get them to move enough. Yes. Try and get to be outdoors more than the, the world necessarily may want them to be nowadays. You know, um, make sure they watch decent stuff on the telly. Let them watch some crap as well. Yeah. Uh, some YouTubers on a Saturday morning just having a laugh and having a mess around because that's that's part. You know, we did that. Of course, we did, know, that, of course you know? we did that. You um, know, and but then give them the space to be whoever they want to be. You yeah. know, and don't sit on them. You don't want to do that. You don't want to be no. that parent who wants a mini me. No, no, absolutely not. And they'll probably go completely the other direction and go for an apprenticeship at an engineering <laughs> firm. Well, we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> right, so back to you. So you went to uni. Where did you go to uni? Newcastle. Newcastle. How was that? Loved it. Why did you choose Newcastle? Um, honestly, because it was probably four hours away from home and it felt like I was actually going away. Right. Originally wanted to go to Leeds. All my friends went to Leeds. That was only an hour and a half from where I lived. Um, so, yeah, Newcastle, brilliant university, amazing nightlife. I was going to say. Yeah. Very interesting, isn't it? Never a dull moment. Never a dull moment. And as far as your chosen subject um, was concerned, how was, how was Newcastle Uni for that? And what was yours? It was English language. Wish I'd chosen literature. Um, didn't love it, if I'm honest. Didn't love it. Why not? It was very, very... Um, it was almost mathematical. So there was lots of things like old Icelandic and, oh, God, just so many different categories of language that I just had no interest in. I think I, w I just wanted to go and read, write about books, get onto the student newspaper, do all of those sorts of things and then go out. But you say now, though, you just said, you know, I wish you'd chosen English Lit, but you wouldn't be sitting here today because everything you've done before leads to where you are now. I suppose so, yeah. There's that, isn't there? Yeah, there what, is what, what might English Lit have given you that English language didn't? Probably just more of an enjoyable experience in terms of actually <laughs> sitting down and doing the work. Hang on a minute. You were in your late teens and early 20s in Newcastle at University. How much more joy of, joyous experience would you want? That's true. Come on. You can't have too much fun, you know. And how, how were you as a student? How, how were you as, as, as you know, with recreation, um, balancing with lectures and things like oh, that? Oh, I only had eight hours a week. What? It's ridiculous, isn't it? So, the, so that's why I got a job as a waitress. And so I you, used were, to... you were a full-time student at Newcastle yeah, University? Yeah, with eight hours a week. See, suddenly all those comedy routines are making sense now. I thought it was being very unfair on students, but if you're, only, if you're only supposed to be there for eight hours a week, well, that's that really, isn't it? 20-odd years ago, but yes, I'm sure it's not that much different now. Sorry, so what did you do as well? Uh, I was a waitress right. in a local local place. Fun, in information. Yeah, I mean, it, was, know, it was fine. Interaction. It just, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so how old were you when you left uni? 21. 21. So, so you first engaged with Fashion Mag's 
11 or 12-ish. Yeah. So 10 years later. Yeah. And, you know, every every former year is more important from a sort of chronological, um, you know, point of view than the next because it's a bigger fraction of your life. Yeah. So you just doubled your life yes. from 11 to 21. Yeah. More or less doubled yeah. your life. So each of those years packed with information, experiences, but you had to stay engaged with these magazines that you've fallen in love with, mm. yet you were English language slash English literature, yeah. uh, with a bit of English lit regret there, um, <laughs> lots of writing, student newspaper. Yeah. How, how was your interest then out of 10 with regards to the fashion industry, um, after, say, say after you, you left big school? Well, so this is where it all started to come together. So I one day bought a magazine, which was the Clothes Show magazine, which it was a big thing at the time. It was huge. And they had huge. spin-off magazine, they had the spin-off show, they had the spin-off catwalk, da-da-da-da. And there was a competition in it to win a makeover on a show called Style Challenge on the BBC, which I entered. And my thinking was that I could try and get an in with this show if we got down there even if we didn't get onto it it might give me an opportunity to meet somebody who might be able to help me get work experience it's all about the work experience at this point because this was the only way that I thought a girl from Birkenhead would be able to make it in London to get into that arena anyway so I won this competition and I actually think it was because my friend because it was for two of us and the friend that I went with was had said she would cut off all her hair. And I think, to be honest, that's the thing that, that did it for us. Um, and we, I got onto this show, so got onto Style Challenge. But what I did was very quickly make myself known to Jane Galpin, who was the amazing producer of the clothes show, Style Challenge, all of these morning shows at the time. How did you do that? Um, I was just really polite and explained to her that my dream was to be a fashion writer and was there any opportunity that I could have with her after this show was over to maybe come down and work in Pebble Mill with them or down in their head office in London happy to make tea happy to iron happy to do anything happy to do anything anything yeah. forever yeah and this is another interesting point so in any business you know there are enthusiastic people who get their foot in the door but then once all the enthusiastic people are have their foot in the door and, and somehow get in, whether it's voluntary, uh, part-time, or they get a, uh, a youth training scheme as it was back then, you know, or an apprenticeship, there's still another level of enthusiasm within the enthusiastic. And then there's another one. And then there's another. It's a wedding cake of enthusiasm, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And once you get in, once you're all in, you're all normal. It's all normal again now. Uh, so, so enthusiasm doesn't count unless you become more enthusiastic. Yeah. I'm guessing... You were the brightest spark in the bunch. Would that be about right? I don't know about that, but I just remember just feeling, I think I've always just felt really grateful and privileged to be in the positions that I've been in. And so I've worked really hard to stay, you know, engaged and on top of things. And yeah, I mean, just, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. But you look fired up now. You know, you're in your 40s now. Mm. You look like you've just got the job. I'm talking to Chris Evans. No, but nevertheless, <laughs> you, you seriously, you look full of life. You're full of excitement. You're, you're a joy to be around. It's really Aww, no, that's it's, a no, nice thing it's to just say. really nice to be around you. You know, you fire me up. It's good. 
this works. You know, when you have that presence in your office or in your team, you know, it just makes everybody's day so much easier. And the, um, of course, the, the opposite also, you know, the, the reverse is true of the opposite, you know, and it's, it's you know, it's I, sometimes, you know, you'll work somewhere and people will come in and they get the, what you think, because you've been there, is the break of their lives. And it's, they wear it, it a little, they were, oh, they wear it a little heavily. Yeah. It's like, Guys, yeah. this is this is as good as it gets right now. Mm-hmm. Right now. It could get better tomorrow, but right now, this is as good as it gets. Absolutely. Because it's great. Yes. It's fantastic. So once you've made uh, eminently aware of your omnipresence, because <laughs> you can also overstep the mark, can't you? Yeah, you can. You, you can, you can, you can. So what, tell us about that measurement. My mum my mom has this idea that because we're northern, we've got this very strong sense of sort of almost staying in your place. So I think, and I don't know whether that's necessarily true or whether it's just the family that I'm from. I think, you know, there's always been this idea that you shouldn't overstep. You know, you should be a a positive presence, but you shouldn't overstep. So it's kind of learning. It's learning to read the room. I think that's so important. Like pick up on your cues, pick up on the social cues that you are feeding off from other people. So I, I did feel that I could approach her and say, I'm really happy to help you. I'd love to help you. This is what I want to do. It's always what I've wanted to do. You know, maybe after this, I could write to you or call you and we could maybe see if this could go somewhere. had no idea where I was going to live at this point, by the way. But my aunt and uncle lived down in Sevenoaks in Kent. So I knew that if it came to it, I could go down there. Yeah, by the way, inconsequential in your thought process. Well, absolutely. I just needed to get that position, that yeah. kind of apprenticeship. Anyway, it was it was a goer. So I'm, I did it. So, so what, what did she say yes to? She said when? yes to coming in and being a fashion assistant on Style Challenge. Wow, that was massive. Yeah. That is massive, yeah. isn't it? So how many months, years was that after you left uni? Um, that was almost immediately. So I probably left in that summer and I started August, September. Right. Now, knowing your place, staying in your lane, very important at this point. Yes, very. Your first day on the job. Yeah. What happens? Um, so walked up Regent Street. It was at Henry Wood House, which is up by the old uh, Radio 1 building. And just so nervous, so nervous because I knew that there was a lot on this. This was, you know, the first step into what I had wanted for so many years. Um, Made a lot of tea, made a lot of, tried to just not be subservient, but that kind of vibe. Can I help anybody? Would anybody like me to do anything? I'm here to help. I am here to help. Yeah. Yeah. And what was the first substantial task that you were given that you thought this is the this is the beginning now i was sent up to a filming day at pebble mill on the train really early morning had to get up there and i was the gopher so i was the one running around taking clothes from the stylists to the set so i was on set so i met the presenters and the producers all of the rest of the producers behind the scenes i was assisting the stylist who i'd worked with in the main office that just felt enormous. The responsibility of getting myself to Birmingham and just all that that encompassed and then this idea that this is amazing. This yeah. is amazing. <laughs> so good that you describe it like that. I know exactly how you feel. And <laughs> the differences, I think, between the two, between being the gopher at Henrywood House, which, oh, by the way, I think everybody here now today has worked at Henrywood House, so so big up Henrywood House, is that if you're if you're making tea for people or you're opening letters or you're delivering mail, there aren't really any consequences to that if you get it wrong. You know, I mean, 
people would like their tea as, as they as they prefer it. Yeah. Um, you know, and they'd like some water here and there. But there are consequences of it. The difference of that day, you know, on set, you know, on location was had you not done things that were required of you that day, there would be consequences. Yeah, they'd have just got rid because there were. But uh, but also no, if you if you hadn't got the close to the set, there would have been consequences. Oh, I see what you mean. That, yes, that absolutely. Shoot would yes. Have been, so it was like th- this is now real. This yeah. is a real job. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is different now. I may still make the tea next Tuesday, but soon somebody else is going to make the tea and I'm going to, I'm going to be doing this more often than not. And they're about to start filming and they need the clothes that I am now steaming to put on the set <laughs> in order to start filming this now. Right, listen to you. Okay, every time you mention something that will benefit everybody else, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you how, okay? It's called How to Wow. Of course it is. Okay, how to wow at steaming your clothes. <laughs> I bought my wife a clothes steamer, right? Three years ago, I thought she would be over the moon. I think she was, but it hasn't seen the light of day since. Home steaming, go. Was it a was it a large one or a small handheld? I don't even know what that means. Um, so you can get the ones that are quite long, and they've got a huge yeah. water container. It's at like the a bottom. vacuum cleaner. Yeah, yeah, it was one of those. Um, probably you just need the little handheld ones. Right. Well, okay. So, so can you can you can you incorrectly steam an item of clothing? Well, you can set off fire alarms right. i've definitely done that oh where oh i've done that on on <laughs> in hotel rooms in, i've done it in um studios right you just you forget that you've got it on and it starts steaming away okay is that the biggest risk in wardrobe well that doesn't involve humans yes okay well let's get on to the, let's get on to the <laughs> come on this is getting it's getting juicy now uh so are we, are we talking injuries now because we're talking about fat, quick changes, yeah. pins where they're not supposed to pins be, pins where they're not supposed to for, be, making up for production that was that is wanting, wardrobe malfunctions, yeah. underwear malfunctions, taking in, letting out, yes, all, the, come all on, of those. Come things. on, give me some, but, well, give yeah, me some gold. It, all of that. So the things where you 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 know zips get stuck, you can't physically close somebody's dress because they may have given you the wrong sizes you're embarrassed about it they're embarrassed about it you don't really know what to do so you're trying to make the situation much better for everybody involved it's all there's a lot of smoothing over metaphorically and literally and um yeah I mean you know we've had no underwear situations where things have flashed we've had oh so I mean so many things I've stuck pins in people yeah but you're in a rush. You're trying to get, and nobody minds because we all there's, there's a there's a t- there was a tacit agreement backstage, isn't there? We, you know, the sh- the show must go on, yeah, and the clothes must go on somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Even if there's too much of me for the clothes to 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 encase, yes. it doesn't matter. You stuff me in. We do it. We'll sew you up if we have. Yeah, to. I, well, I've been sewn up. Don't yeah. don't stitched up as well, but but also <laughs> also sewn up. All right. So you get your, so so first job is important. Um, yeah. Let's fast forward. Uh, let's go to first big print job. Would that be on the mirror? Yeah, that's, so that's the mirror. Tell us how you got the job on the Daily Mirror and what was the job? So I was in the Style Challenge office one day and the phone rang and everybody else was out and it was a, a TV producer from another morning show um, and they were after a stylist for that show and I have no idea to this day what possessed me but I said, I could do that. <laughs> I could do that. We've all done it. <laughs> I, I still do it now. And I think you've got you've got enough cred now. Never, ever. <laughs> never enough. Never enough. Never, never. Um, yeah, I have no idea what possessed me, but I did. I said I could do that. Naughty girl. I know. As soon as the head stylist came back, I remember saying I, I totally confided in her. And she said, that's fine. I will I will stick up for you. And then that led me to meeting the person who was then presenting the slot on this other show that I said I could do 
was the fashion director of the Daily Mirror. And then she was impressed, I think, must have been with me, so invited me to do to be a fashion assistant over there. And they were actually looking for a fashion assistant, but I was on a kind of three-month trial. Um, so Piers was the editor. It was a crazy old time. And that was another mind-blowing. used to get on at Bank Station, onto the DLR, and it would trundle over to Canary Wharf and this huge tower every morning. And I'd just think, I've made it. I have made it. This is absolutely amazing. It's funny, though, isn't it? For two industries under the same umbrella, you know, uh, TV and and newspapers, they couldn't be more different. Yeah, no, exactly. How did you find the world of newspapers compared to the world of telly from a fashion point of view? Well, the tabloid fashion is very different. Still? I don't know because I've been out of the arena for so long now. But I remember, I mean, jumping forward when I was on The Sun, when I started on there... It was still very much that kind of lingerie only, um, you know, new spread from Gossard, new spread from Wonderbar, and I completely changed that. Yeah, let's just hold the sun a okay. sec, because I because I want to because there's a big there's a That's there's a, a there's a head hunting <laughs> thing going on between the the, the 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 way you get to the sun is via the mirror, and the way you got the mirror was by faking it till you make it as this style <laughs> guru. So, what gave you the confidence to say on that phone call on the other end of that phone? Well, I could do it. What had you learned? that you knew you had in your back pocket? Of, of course, as well as all the things you didn't know, but you thought, well, I'll acquire that. They, they call it um, they call it load, fire, aim. Yeah. So you fired before you you took aim. Yeah. You, I'll, I'll find the target later. I'm just going to get the gig now. I think I've done that a lot. I think there's, there's always a way to do things. So I think if you can back yourself and you know that you'll have to work that out later. I mean, even doing digital stuff now, there's so much I don't know, but I'll work it out. Yeah. So I'll say that I can do it and then I'll just spend the time to work it out. And I think that's what I was doing at that point. I have no idea. But there was this voice in my head that just went, you can do this. It involved sorting out the clothes for one particular slot. I knew the slot would be three models. I knew I could dress three people. It was to a theme, so it would be absolutely fine. I'd be working in collaboration with the fashion director anyway. So if I just ordered in a whole load of stuff or went and selected a whole load of stuff she would be the person to make those final calls anyway. So actually, I didn't really have a lot to lose, apart from the uh, chutzpah to actually say, I could, I can do this. But when the chutzpah's real, yeah. and the, you, she talks about that voice, you know, there's something inside saying, you can do this. You know, that is unmistakable. Yeah. And as you, as, as you, as you progress, you know, in, in one's career and, and life generally, you try and imagine that voice sometimes again in the future. Yeah. And that's really, really dangerous. I mean, sometimes it works. And sometimes, you know, as you get older and you get set in your ways, you, you, need, to, you need to sort of um, pretend that voice is there and then maybe one day it'll show up because it's your long-lost friend. But isn't it great when you're young? And it, it's, it's, it's like when bands come in here and they can't stop writing amazing lyrics. And then you get people in who've had you know, tens of millions of albums of sales and you platinum discs and world tours and big house in Beverly Hills, they can't write another line. Mm. Isn't it funny that yeah. that inner voice, that voice comes... Dries up, yeah. What is that about? Where do you think that voice comes from? I, is it, it's maybe the, just the idea that these things are out there and the opportunities are there for you to hold on to if you, if you should choose to and if you believe in yourself. And I think just talking about the confidence issue, there are so many people who lack that confidence. I see it a lot now with people who have lack of confidence to dress themselves. You know, they don't have that kind of 
inner belief in their own ability well, to they, put clothes together. Also, they don't know who they are, so they don't know who they're yeah, dressing. That's a huge part. That is a huge part. You've got to know who you're dressing, or yeah. or how, or who you want to dress that day. What's your story that day? Exactly. Take the pressure off yourself. Yeah, you don't have to know who you are all the time. All the time, no. But who do you, you know? Every day is an adventure. Yeah. So, so his. How about we write a Hollywood blockbuster as opposed to sort of you know an off-Broadway flop? <laughs> yeah. Why don't we do that? That's a good idea. Da da, jazz hands. Yeah. <laughs> so you're on the mirror. Yeah. Okay. You're on the mirror. You're over on the Isle of Dogs, but Fleet Street beckons, and Fleet Street is still Fleet Street yes, for Fleet some Street. newspapers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, how high up the ranks did you ascend to at the mirror? So I got to um, become put peers made myself and my colleague Amber store trawlers. So we had a column every week in the paper and in the then M magazine where we effectively then did what everybody's doing on Instagram now. We used to go out and try things on and show them on our page. Um, Was that like the most fun ever? Oh, it was amazing. It was amazing. And we used to get, we'd have photo shoots, we'd go and try things. We took Carol Vorderman dress shopping for the Pride of Britain Award. She's you know, All of those That's things. not going to be a dull afternoon. <laughs> it's really not going to be a dull afternoon. We just had a blast. We went to Henley Regatta. We went to... I think we went to one of them where we had to wear an outfit that cost a tenner. <laughs> then the next day we went to Henley Regatta where I had to, we had to wear outfits that cost a million, including all the jewellery. That was a story. My, my hairdresser flicked the earring that I was wearing, which was from Boodles, cost thousands and thousands, which went into the river. No way. What happens when that, when that well, happens? Well, the mirror the next day sent down... Um, divers. Divers. <laughs> yes. The follow-on story. He said... <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's not a crisis. <laughs> it's an opportunity. Call for the divers. The we, we don't have any God. divers. We're on the Isle of Dogs, but we don't require <laughs> divers. Well, we do now. Get some divers and get them to wear a Daily Mirror diving outfit. <laughs> yes. That's the way it is, because I'm in charge. <laughs> so that was a good follow-up story to that one. But, but you know, in that, in that story, that recounting that story, you said, my hairdresser. You'd, you know, you just, you'd reach the place where you had a hairdresser. Oh, well, just for the day. No, but I don't mean it like <laughs> that. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not throwing yeah. stones. I'm saying just, you, but then, you know, just for the day. Yeah. But you had a hairdresser for the day. I know. At your, you know, at Henley, I wearing know. a million pound I know. outfit. I know. You know, this is not, here's the thing, Erica. This is not just your dream job. It sounds like it sounds like I would have loved that job. It sounds like the most it was pretty fun... good. It was pretty cool at 22, 23. Yeah. Pretty cool. It was. For, I mean, I'm sorry, Newcastle. You had your chance. You had me for uni for three years. But look what you could have won. I know. What was it like working under him and that legendary newspaper, you know, in its still legendary time? It was a really amazing time, just in the sense that it was like, everything I was absorbing everything by osmosis he'd walk around every day he was re always really personable you know he'd go and check everybody was okay the editors were amazing um but I just loved it it was a real learning on the job kind of existence I genuinely think to this day if you can work on a daily newspaper you can work anywhere yeah I mean, the, the atmosphere has changed now. Yeah. Uh, but it was very rock and roll then, wasn't it? I mean, you know, very it was many other things too, but it was also very rock and roll. Yeah. So so you're 22, you're on the mirror. You're having yeah. the most fun ever losing millions of pounds of the jewellery in the River Thames. <laughs> yes. But it's okay because it's another story for tomorrow's paper. <laughs> and in fact, you should have should have asked for a rise. Look, I've just given you 70 more. Well, did the divers find it? Yeah, they did. They did find they it. Did they not. did find it. It was in the evening standard. No Hilarious. Way. Yeah. 
Wow. I know. Well, they I were know. good at their job. Well, it was because I was sort of standing there going, it was over here somewhere. Yeah, but hang on a minute. Didn't sleep at all that I'm night. I was surprised. Before. But that was the day after. I don't know if you're aware, but the River Thames does flow. It's not a lake. Yeah. You know, it changes all the time. Yeah. We were lucky. It sort of trapped itself under a stone. And because it was quite big, it, it, it stayed. And the ramifications were insurance would have paid out, so it would have been fine, or oh, who knows? Who knows? But I just didn't want to even think about it's that. Boodles. Boodles. Boodles of Dunthorpe. And they, they are. <laughs> They had, or Boodles and Dumbfound, as I used to call it when I was little. Um, yeah, they had loaned us this amazing jewellery. We had a, we had a bouncer with us all day as well. Of course well. you did. <laughs> of course you had, you probably, you know, if drones had a herd of drones behind you, or with a close circuit, you probably, you know, you pretended to a strike. Yeah. You know? Um, so, so up to that point, 22, 23, who had you, what, what, any big icons that you'd worked with, you'd done shoots with, spreads with, um, many or, or few and far between? Were you not yet at that point? No, so I was doing a lot of the kind of features stylings that involved a lot of celebrities, um, you know, going down. And even if they had their own stylists, I'd be there to make sure that the pictures would reflect what we so needed. So you mentioned Carol, who else? Uh, oh, well, it was all that kind of era. So the sort of atomic kittens and all the pop idol people. CD and, UK, yeah, SMTV. All of, that, all of that, yeah. Okay, so the sun the sun come in for you. How mm-hmm. does that work? Was that clandestine? Was that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, meet, at, meet me at um, Charing Cross Station, I'll have a copy. Actually, it was a phone call at my desk. Right. So they, they just went for it. Um, yeah, they said they had a fashion editor position. Was I interested? No heads up. You had no idea it was no. coming, this phone call? No heads up. So it came from nowhere. So thank God I did answer the, <laughs> answer the phone. You're good at taking the right phone calls at the right I time, know. aren't you? I know. And this time you didn't have to pretend. No. How did that feel? Well, I, well, I did until I went down. But, you know, does the imposter syndrome ever leave no, you? let me tell you. It to might get worse. Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, so I went to meet the features editor uh, in a hotel and she just talked me through what she was after. And and at this point, I was still thinking, I'm, I'm 24. This, is, this isn't this is what happens at 24. Youngest ever Fleet Street fashion editor. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And did you realise that at the time? No. No, I didn't. It was a big decision to make. I'm from a part of the world that doesn't really like the sun very much. Mm. And there was a lot of that to process as well it was also a time when I took the job and my then boyfriend and I had a flat together we split up I started at the sun the exact same week it was sink or swim I was living in my friend's living room (laughs) then starting working at the paper but you know you just have to jump in sometime. But there also is a time in your life when you really don't care about anything other than work. And, you know, that, that's, that can, become, that very, was it. Yeah, it can become very dangerous later and very sort of destructive. But, you know, th- there is a time when it's the right thing to do, when you want to be consumed completely by what you're doing for a living. And if you're not, then you won't get to where you are today. And yeah. that's, that's when you can start to, to juggle or to construct some kind of more healthy, uh, comprehensive balance. But, you know, crack on. I, I'm sure, you know, when the Rolling Stones go on a world tour for 18 months, you know, um, they're, not, they're not phoning, phoning home to see how, whether the lawn's been mowed. You're just, you're just out. You're out, aren't you? That's it. You're done. Yes. And it's, uh, you're out of the loop for yeah, a while. Yeah, and you can't stop the flow. because. No. And it's not about, you know, you, one could imagine that it's about being competitive and, you know, get sharp elbowed and not letting any any uh, sort of potential um, vanquishers in. But it's not. It's just you're so excited. You're, it's your oxygen. Yeah. You know, and if you don't have it, you feel like you're going to die. And you just keep going. I think that's the thing when you're that age. You just keep going. It's, you know, you don't, it doesn't matter how tired you are or how 
how much else you've got going on because you're sort of tunnel vision in this idea that, okay, this is an amazing opportunity and I'm absolutely going to cling on to this and I'm going for it. I, I kept thinking to myself, there aren't that many newspapers in the UK. I'm one of the only fashion editors on these newspapers. That's amazing. There's like eight of us. Mm. Um, and that's, I think, just kept me going. So The Sun, the biggest newspaper in Britain, um, by, by but, um, at that point, yeah. yeah, yeah, the biggest daily newspaper in yeah. Great Britain. Um, what was the difference as far as opportunities were concerned, working at the Sun as opposed to the Mirror? No slight on the Mirror, no. But was that was there a palpable difference to who, who you were offered, what you got to do, the designers you you, you work with? Well, that's interesting because probably not actually because it, there was still very much a snob value attached to it. I remember meeting, I think, the CEO of Waitrose at an event once and it was myself and an editor from Vogue and he introduced us to somebody else there and he said, oh, this is Erica. She's a fashion editor on the biggest selling newspaper in the country. Vogue have got the most prestigious readers. Yeah. Erica's got the most. And it was that kind of, you know, <laughs> disparity that I just always remember. Yeah. But in terms of what my job encompassed, it was a huge leap. It was absolutely enormous. And that was really just going in every day, fired up with adrenaline, having to kind of fake it till you make it in conference with the editor, um, present my list lines every morning, you know, kind of there was almost an element of just going to get on with this. Let's yeah. just let's just do this. Right. And as you say, when you arrived, there wasn't that much fashion going on no. in the sun. So why were they so keen to change that? Um, it, what did you inherit? Did you have a plan? And how far did you get? So I inherited three team members, all of whom were either my age or older. Mm -hmm. There was an idea that 49% of the readership is female. So they wanted, that's a huge, that's half. So why are we just speaking to them in terms of lingerie and knickers and bras? It's ridiculous. I really wanted to push the envelope and show that the high street on the UK is the best in the world, that you can create amazing editorial shoots. And so gradually, slowly but surely, they kept increasing the pages. They allowed me to do more things because you prove yourself um, and you just pushed. I just pushed a little bit further. But what were the things that specifically you pulled off, whether they were individual um, assignments or interviews or shoots with different people or for different programs or for different productions or whatever it may have been that you that one could have been forgiven for thinking were unattainable at the sun when you joined um an extra double page spread on a saturday which was solely fashion fashion trips abroad which were very hit and miss previously whereas i made it a regular thing that we would what have. like for example where uh, so we went to miami tobago went to trinidad um, Portugal. We did a, we did some lovely trips with models or with people we've heard of or a bit of both. No or? models. Right. That was that was purely fashion. And then anything that was. I flew to Barcelona to interview David Beckham when he did his children's collection for Marks and Spencer. So it was things, lots of things like that. Right. And how was the world of modelling then, uh, as opposed to when you first? sort of uh, had any insight into it, and 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 how was it then compared to how it is now? Do you think? Well, now there seems to be an expectation that you have to have a social media platform in order to be a successful model. Then we used a variety of different agencies. I tried to make it much more representative and much more inclusive. So I used more plus size models, um, you know, models of colour. 
and that was really important to me to keep pushing that that envelope and was that where does that come from that consciousness to do that because I just kept thinking this is who we are as yeah. a country that why are we only seeing one version of reality whereas it there's so many and it's all beautiful and we should be seeing it. So were you way ahead of the curve? Was the curve already there as far as that's all concerned? Because people are still talking about that today. Yeah, I know. It's bonkers. Um, I don't think I was ahead of the curve. I just think it was something that was very important to me. And I just kept hiring people that I wanted to see reflected on the fashion pages. Right. And so how long were you at the Sun for? Ten years. Right. And did did that just pass by like the blink of an eye? Yes, hour? absolutely. Wow. Met my husband there, had two babies there. <laughs> <laughs> so that's about the first time you ever saw your husband, ever. <laughs> well, I knew he was on the news desk, so I had I knew who he was, but we all kind of stayed quite far apart in the office. But there were other people on the news desk. Why he, him in particular? He was quite nice looking. But did you? And then we had to do, uh, my colleague had to do a shoot with him. And then I got a message from her just saying, I've met the perfect bloke for you. And then that was it. We went out and that was it. So when are we talking like uh, late noughties? Um, yes. So, no, 2005. 2005, so mid noughties. Yeah. Okay, 2005. First date was 2005? Yeah. And, and what, what, was the, what was the online action like on The Sun then? Um, so that was ramping up. Right, tell us about the, fir- the first time somebody came in there and said, look, we've got, we've got to get into this, we're going we're gonna to miss the boat on this. That was, so Sun Online was a very small operation just in the corner, about two, three people. And then you'd every every year or so there'd be another bank of desks added, another bank of desks, and then now it's just this behemoth um, because everything had to be. But the same thing happened when I was at Look Magazine, which came after the Sun, and you started to have to be this three sixty operation. Mm-hmm. So even if you were just a writer, you would then have to learn how to input online stories as well as do your the job that you were paid for. Yeah. And obviously there was never any extra money or any of that sort of stuff. So. Or extra time. No. And brain space. Yeah. And also, you know, we talk about neuroplasticity on our show, on the radio. And, you know, we're, you know, our, our sort of neurological plows are pretty furrowed by then. Yeah. You know, we, and we don't mind develop, development and evolution, but change or, or relearning. Bloody hell, it's exhausting, isn't it? It's really exhausting. And there is this also this element of, is this really fair? <laughs> Are we are we going to do a good job at the job that you're actually hiring us to do, yeah. as well as have to do all this incremental stuff that you keep asking us to yeah, do and on the way, top? If we're doing that, trying to get it right, which we know we're probably going to get wrong. Oh. It's going to take away from what we are getting paid for, and it's going to look like we're we're just in charge of a shit show, and we're going to get fired. Just like coding and trying to add things. Oh, nightmare! No, really difficult. Okay, we now need to fast forward to to where you are today, right? Where are you today? And then we'll go back and we'll find out how you got here. So today I'm a digital content creator. Some people call use the word influencer, which I'm not that keen on. In my head, I'm doing what I used to do, but for myself. So I don't have an editor and I'm putting out content that is magazine in style, I guess. Um, so I'm using all of the things that I used to do on publications, the writing, the creating images, the styling, and I'm doing it for myself. Right. So... The great advantage you have is that you know about content. You know, you, you've, you're steeped in content and you've lived and breathed content. So people who are really up to date with the tech sometimes don't have the content. Some people who have amazing content 
a sort of um, rally against the tech almost. It's, it's almost the enemy. They don't embrace it. You seem to have done that. Was it, was it immediate or was there a tip? Well, it wasn't immediate from what you've just said. Was there a tipping point when you saw the light? You know, I haven't seen the light. You know, I'm, 50, I'm a year, 10 years older than you. I don't think I will see the light. I don't mind not seeing the light. Yeah. But was there a moment for you? Yes. So I was pregnant with my second child and I went out for a lunch with a PR, so public relations friend who was working for a brand. And she happened to mention that a lot of their advertising money was going towards um, mummy bloggers. And I'm saying that in inverted commas. So that was the name given to the women who would write about child um, issues or things for children, babies. Um, and it was a huge movement at this time. And there was a light that went off in my head. Second time round, I knew what maternity leave would be like. Um, I knew that I'd want something to kind of keep my creative juices flowing because there was only so much baby sensory classes you could do with two tiny ones. And I thought, I don't want to write about babies. I don't want to write about breast pumps or buggies or any of that sort of stuff. But my life has changed. My friends' lives have changed. I could write about the clothes that we're now interested in, you know, interiors for kids' rooms. I could write about, you know, off-duty looks that kind of reflect who you are as a person. I could do that. And again, this is sort of this light bulb moment where I just thought, I'm going to start a blog. I'm going to write about this. This could be my maternity leave project. So I did lots of YouTube Googling and trying to work out how you set up a blog and a website and all of that sort of stuff um, and just started posting things that interested me, whether that be interiors or fashion that related to where I was at that moment, having two small babies. And because your expectations were low, if at all. Yeah, totally. Because I love that. I, lo I love that, you know, some of the best advice I've been given includes things like, you know, um, decide where you want to go. And then immediately drop the expectation of getting there and enjoy the journey. Yeah. And dive into the journey. You gotta have you gotta want the journey. And the thing about it's like lockdown, it's not dissimilar, is it? To to be to be at home, stuck at home, you could say, or just having the most gorgeous time at home being a new mum, you do yeah. have time on your hands. Yeah. And you have time on your hands that that is valuable as far as raising your kids is concerned and you know being a wife and having your mates and you're living your life but you do have this spare time which is free spare time yeah. so th there's no risk really with spending it because it's there anyway absolutely and so the pressure's off it was massively off and then the so the creative tap is turned yes. on and my husband said this to me the other day we were talking and he said the thing that with you when you started was that you never expected this to be your job you did this because you wanted to do something creative during a time when you were at home. And it's grown from there. And it's really true. I think if you go into something with expectations and ideas that you're going to become this huge success and make millions, you're never going to get it. But if you're prepared to just see where the road takes you, it's much more interesting. And therefore now it's much more sweet knowing that this is a lovely byproduct of something that actually started off with a really genuine initial purpose. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And it's so funny, isn't it? Because even if it's not about the millions or keeping your eye on the big price, if it's just taking you out of the moment slightly, you can't be a bit pregnant and you can't be a bit in the moment. You're either in the moment or you're not. Yeah. And if, if, the, if, you've, you know, if there's a flea, literally a flea in your ear, that's where the phrase comes from, you know, it throws you off completely. So you might think you're doing the work, you're putting the hours in, then you begin to resent 
your product because it's not as good as you want it to be because you're just not present, you know, and you, ha- you have to be. And then I suppose that when the, when the success comes, or it doesn't come, and by the way, if it doesn't come, you shouldn't mind because you don't have any expectations. And yep. then it, by the way, then it always does. It's so annoying. <laughs> uh, and then when the success does begin to come, then you have to go, you have to, you have to hit the brakes going, yeah, but don't, you know, don't get caught or what, don't, don't sort of be hijacked by this runaway train because the authenticity, the anchor, the roots, you know, and, and, uh, the, the, uh, humility is what's giving birth to this now. And you, you have to retain that and you have to, you know, fifth gear is always available, but yeah. it's not always the best idea. Yeah, totally. Totally agree. Just see where it takes you. Mm. I think there's a lot of truth to be said in that and that I hopefully I'm at a place now where I'm, I don't know what's coming next, yeah. but I'm open minded to it and we'll just see where it goes. Well, you're also you're so qualified, you know, it's like when people who are on stage, you really know you know, or some kind of event or a mate, you know, who really knows their stuff. And you can ask them anything because they may not know the answer before you've asked them, but they will by the time you finish the question because <laughs> they've got it all they've yeah. got, and you've got it all. And, and, you know, and what the thing now is not to pitch, you know, other people may pigeonhole us in the past, but, you know, we can pigeonhole ourselves sometimes, which is not the wisest thing to do. But I also understand from what I've read about you and it's all brilliant. I love reading about you, is wow. the fact that when you finally made the move from the city to the sticks, mm-hmm. you found that everything got better. Mm. Now, you know, I'm quite woo-woo. I think you're a bit woo-woo mm-hmm. as well. You know, and you, you, because you, you've said it yourself, you know, it's not been mined out of you. You have said that when you moved from the city to the country, you got more followers, you got more ideas, you know, you, you, you achieve more success without, you know, wanting it too much. You know what I think about that? What do you think about that? I think I relaxed. I just think I realised that I couldn't rely on looking at what other people were doing and succeeding in, in London, where I lived, and looking at other Instagrammers, other digital content creators, and looking at what they were doing. It had to be on my own terms. I had to relax about the fact that I didn't have the cool coffee shops to go to and, you know, the cool walls I had what I'd always done, which was styling and showing how I dress. And also I had a house that I was doing up. So I just thought, okay, well, this could be content that people might find interesting. I'll start doing this slowly and seeing where it goes. And it it just kept going. It was like this ball that just kept rolling and rolling. And then, you know, it would be, I'd be in a newspaper or I'd, my stairs were on something or you know it was just it was one of these processes that just kept going and I just went with it because I kept growing the feedback is immediate so rather than on a print publication where you don't get that immediate feedback you'd get direct messages or emails or comments that would sort of suggest that what you were doing was appealing to people so I just kept going with it. Yeah, literally go with the flow. Uh, why wouldn't you? As long as you're aware of um, in which direction the flow exists. So you are, you're, you now inhabit a world. You're surrounded by basically loads of kids who are the Beatles in Hamburg in 1961, 1962, or the Beach Boys in California, you know, around a similar time, or J.K. Rowling, early 1990, right, just before Harry Potter's born. You're surrounded by these, these unbelievable, you know, late teens, early 20-somethings, you know, and you're in their world, right? But you are 
you are more unique um, than they are because you're older than they are. Mm-hmm. You have more experience than they are. And so you, are you more in demand? Are you as in demand? Are they your competition? Do you complement each other? Do you ever interact with those people? Yes, there is a real difference, though. Those people all often have YouTube accounts, which I of course they do, <laughs> which I don't have, right? Because I do not have the uh, bandwidth to deal with that. Yes, and also that means that they grow in huge numbers because of that audience that they're getting on Instagram, on uh-huh. YouTube. So no, that's something that I'm slightly distant from. I'm I'm getting a lot of work and really interesting projects. Um, I think I'm being much more selective about the sorts of things that I do now because the reality is I work from home. I'm at home most of the time. I've got two children and my work fits in around that and it fits in beautifully around that. Sometimes it takes me away for a little bit of time, but I think my focus now is that that is the priority. Whereas before we were talking earlier about, you know, that kind of hamster wheel of getting on the career ladder. Well, that's what they're doing. They don't care which floor yes, they're sleeping exactly, on that night. They're, they're, exactly. it's, it's their time. It's, and it's their, all content. Yeah, and if they don't get it, they will die. They will die of lack of oxygen because that's 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 the air that they're breathing at the time. I once um, checked into a hotel on the same day as um, a load of influencers were being uh, wined and dined or whatever they are okay. by a, I can't remember, it was a, a leisure wear company. Who would it be? So I said to them all, boys and girls, you know, young men, young women, boys and girls, as far as I was concerned. I said, you know, how many of, of there are you? This is uh, forty-five to fifty. What and what happens now? Well, you know, we're here for three days, and what you so they and by the way, it's a really posh hotel, and so they're going to put you up for three days. And say, yeah, absolutely. Um, wow, that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's, but it's what we do. Really? Okay, good. Well, how, see you around. See, see, see you in the croquet. See you on the croquet lawn. I'll see see you in the bar. I'll see you at dinner. Then I went to the nearest person that I knew who ran the hotel. I said, "What's the deal with those guys?" Yeah, and he. And uh, Andrew, a friend of mine, said, who, who managed, happens to run the hotel, he says, well, see that bloke there? If he prints a picture of him wearing something on Instagram, it will sell out. 10,000 10, items, units or less, it will sell out almost before he's, he's press post. I went, oh, that's why they're treating them as three nights in a posh hotel. Yeah, yeah. And it, is, it, is it literally that instant? Uh, it can be, yes. You can you can get that feedback immediately. And do you, do you get a sense of that? Because I've heard you do. Yeah. Yeah, on certain things. Not to that level, though, I wouldn't say. No, but nevertheless. But it's just, I mean, it is extraordinary. Give us give us, give us, us um, an extreme example. Of, of. I know you don't like being referred to as an influencer. I sort of, I do believe you, right? But I think you're wrong. It's, it, <laughs> it's, it's fine to be called an influencer. I'm not one. But I, I think that you might worry that other people hearing that you're an influencer might think, oh, she's one. I don't think that at all. I think influencers are cool because I get it. I get it completely. It's like saying, oh, I don't want to be called a shopkeeper or a racing driver. No, but that's what you are. Yeah. So it's completely fine. And also there's no uh, cloak and dagger or smoke and mirrors because you 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 say what you do and that's fine because you curate collections and you, you, you promote different things. But give us an extreme example of something you've been involved in and you've put it up on Instagram, it would be. Yeah. Would and what happened next in the next 24 hours or hour or whatever? So I bought a rug on a website called Laraduke's. Oh, you're famous for this rug. Yeah. I know about this rug. Go on. Yeah, so I bought it. I featured it. It, would, it had been one that I'd seen at their press day, which they had in Paris. Yeah. They invited a couple of us over to Paris, went over on the um, the train, took a picture of it. It was a couple of months till this rug was dropping. Just moved house. Thought, I love that. It's great. Brilliant price. Brilliant. Great size. I'm going to buy it. It sold out six times. They had to keep restocking. 
Um, and every time I featured it, there'd be a huge spike in the sales. And the head office actually renamed it the Erica Rug. No way! <laughs> cool. So how many, what, six times? How many rugs are we talking about? Oh, thousands and thousands. So not hundreds, thousands. thousands. Yeah. Maybe tens of thousands? Possibly. Oh, my goodness me. And so from that, when you have a hit like that unintentionally, yes. which is the best hit yeah. of all, the other manufacturers, a PR company say, she's the rug lady. We need to get <laughs> our stuff to her. Do you become known as the rug lady? You become known as somebody that might shift a few units or something. She's always handy if you're making the units. Yes. All right. So tell us how you make a living, um, You know how it works, how you make a living, how you strike a deal. So I work with... Um, Brands now. So brands will approach me and my team. Uh, I have two people who work for me who are amazing, both on a part-time basis, but brilliant. Um, and they, we will work with a brand. So either the brand comes to us and says, we want to share our autumn collections. Okay, fine. So I might work with them on a one-month basis, but generally it's on a three- to six-month basis because I think telling the story is the most important thing. So you don't want people to just assume that you're going to have a one-off hit of something and then move on to the next one and then advertise something a competitor's selling the next week. You want your audience to believe in your recommendations and your authenticity, and I think that's really important. So I actually say no loads more than I say yes to things. And now I'm working on bigger projects. So I've just done this amazing one with John Lewis, and I've styled the collection and I have edited the collection and then styled the models and then part of the strategy is me marketing it on my Instagram. So it all kind of comes together. So it's another way of looking at the 360, but in a more of a marketing shopping element. So, so do, you, do you get you get paid for your initial time and then there's a deal on what with the, on the back end? Or so it's a like project that. fee. So right. you'd, you'd sort that out initially. So you'd sort out how many Instagram posts you're going to do, how many tweets, if that's relevant, you're going to do, whether you're going to do anything on Instagram Live or you're going to put things together or shopping edit together or a blog post. So all of that is sorted out at the beginning when you sort out a fee. Right. And tell us about the magic, is it 12,000 followers you get and then there's the swipe up? I think it's 10,000. 10, tell us about the, 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 the all-important magic swipe up. What the heck does that mean for those of us who have no idea what you're talking about? So that means you can then start sharing things, which means that you could use what's called an affiliate link. So there are lots of companies out there that implement a little bit of code. So if you, for example, wanted to share 10 rock T-shirts you could find your T-shirts, you would get the affiliate codes for that and you would embed that into your swipe up so that when somebody purchases through your swipe up, you make a small commission. So obviously, the more sales you make, the better because you're right. going to make more money. So 9,999 followers, you don't get a swipe up. Mm -hmm. 10,000, you do. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much, Instagram. Uh, thank you for my house. <laughs> yeah, or, or rabbit such or whatever it may be as far as you're Coffee, concerned. Coffee probably, yeah. All right, okay. How important is fashion? How important was fashion? How important is fashion? What is it nowadays compared to what it used to be? Fashion is such an important, it's such an important business, not just from an economic point of view, but also from a personal point of view. It allows you to show the world who you are. It allows you to show who you want to be, how you want to be perceived, you know, in a work environment, how you want to be seen. Um, it's just, it, it affects you fundamentally. It's so important to dress for yourself, not for anybody else. And I think it's often dismissed. And I just find fashion is something that should be, well, individual style should be definitely something that's encouraged and find it. And 
How long ago was it since you left the bright lights of the big city in print journalism? Five years. Five years. Yeah. Okay. So your career seems to be between in cycles of between seven and 13 years, let's say just 10 years for the sake of argument. So we, you're halfway through the next cycle. Yeah. Cycles may change. I actually believe they do. I, I, I think that you have cycles up to a point and then you, you, you found your, your calling, if you like, and then you go, right, this is my lane, you know. And you have, by the way, this whole staying in your lane thing is fine, but there's nothing with wandering out of it now and again. Mm. But I think there's staying in your lane and then there's being happy in your lane. That's so important. And I think, you know, yeah. I think you do get to a point where you're happy in your lane, but you're five years into this, you're relatively new and you couldn't have been more successful you know, not without trying because you want to be successful because it's in your genes. But does this seem not easier because it's not easy, but does it seem more natural than other things you've done before? Or is it the same feeling when you know you're doing the right thing? It's the same feeling when you know you're doing the right thing. Right. Yeah, I would I would totally agree with that. I feel in a very comfortable place. That's not to say there are days when it's all just too much. I want to throw my phone in the nearest river. Still? Yeah, yeah. And it's definitely cyclical. And there are definitely times when I know I can feel that for my own mental health, I just need to step away and not engage because it starts to bring up quite a lot of anxiety or even panic, actually. You get that heart race. It's that sort of fight or flight thing. And and that sounds really melodramatic, but actually, I know the trigger signs now that I just need to step away from it and yeah. go and do something, walk around, go and see, go and see my friend for coffee, go and for a walk down by the sea, something like that, um, and then maybe pick it up in a couple of days' yeah, time. I have the same thing. So, and it's not about the weight, the burden of work. It's about something before that, you know. So I had it yesterday afternoon. Same thing exactly. Did and I thought, you? well, I thought, you know, I know exactly what happened. You know, it was the weekend. A couple of drinks the weekend. Don't drink at all in the week anymore. And I hadn't meditated. Okay. And I thought, okay, I'm off. I'm off. It's not the weight. It's not the the weight of um, responsibility. It's the my current lack of ability to deal with that yeah. responsibility. The responsibility is always the same. It's whether I have the ability, the energy, uh, the presence, uh, the space yeah. in which to deal with it. It is the space. It's the slowing down of things. Yes. Because, because things only come at you quickly when you don't have the ability to slow them down. And when you have the ability to slow them down for long enough, you think it's the norm, then you take your foot off the whatever it is to remain in your yeah. in presence gas, and then they come at you quickly again. You think, I'm getting more work. No, no, you're just not ready dealing for it. With it. You're not yeah. dealing with it. Yeah. It's different, isn't it? Things I aren't coming at you faster. You're not slowing them down. Yes. You, you're not I using your superpower. You've lost your superpower for a minute. And also, we never, ever switch off, especially if you're doing what I do now. Mm. You're attached to a device all the time. You're answering direct messages at 11 o'clock at night. It's ridiculous. You need to, well, I need to just completely get back into that sense of when I used to have a BlackBerry and couldn't access it after a certain time or, you know, you 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 were limited in your functionality of what you could do. I, I kind of wish it was like that sometimes. Okay. Expectations stop us from having the fun that we need to have to get to where we set out to be. But you need them to begin the journey. And this is the double-edged sword. I fucking love this. Right? <laughs> so you're five years into this. You need a goal slash expectation to, to have a direction, to have a tangent, 
Otherwise, you, you just you go yeah, all over meander. the place. Yeah. So, so w- what is that next one? Are you building a business? Are you developing a career? What are you doing? And where's the next waypoint when you'll ha- you'll have a little think about things again? Um, so I have given myself to the end of the year to have a little think about where to go from then on. Mm. So this year's been amazing. My book's come out. That's been a big, big bucket list tick. Um, this project with John Lewis has provided me with a lot of personal satisfaction because it's encompassed a lot of things that I've done. And it's not just me sharing a picture of myself on Instagram. It's There's been a lot more to it. I would like to be less on and more behind scenes again. I think there is a move at the moment. I'm saying this to you now. I could change my mind again at the end of the year, but I think at the moment I'm looking more at building my business behind the camera rather than in front of it. Yeah, but you, you sparkle, are you shy? <laughs> you, I want you in front of the microphone. I you want you in front of the camera. I actually want you in my house now, helping me out with some new rooms. I mentioned this to my wife last night, and she sort of liked the idea. She, but it was like she bristled. But what do you mean? I said, well, she, you know, she seems really good, you know. And we've got projects that are on hold because we've got a million children, and Tasha's, you know, she's so busy, but she doesn't want to let go of those. Yeah. And I made the mistake of suggesting she might to you last night, and she really now she hates me. She loved you. Up until that point, I know she loves you just a little bit less. Don't worry, I'll, I'll get back there. Um, so, do you still have Piers Morgan's number? No, I don't. Well, in that case, don't throw your phone into the river next time you get too perplexed about things because those divers won't be available to go and find they you. Won't. They right. won't. You're awesome. Any parting thoughts? Any final takeaway for anybody listening who might want to do this, whether they're 13, 23, 33, 43, or not? It's up to you. Be yourself. Enjoy being yourself. It's a brilliant opportunity to, you know, read my book, find your style, enjoy your life. Enjoy your lane. Stop worrying about what other people think of you. Find your lane. Find your lane. Do you believe in staying in your lane? Have a swim. No, have a swim in others, but find your lane. So, and then, then ask permission. You know, have a swim in your lane. Have yeah. a swim in my lane. You know, I think joint ventures are very much the way forward. I think now. You know, not that I'm into all that, to be honest, but if thinking about it now, where I am today, you know, when things haven't worked for me, and by the way, everything gets you to where you are. So it's so it's it's fine for things not to work. It's fine for things to be disastrous, you know, because it's all learning, you know, that, that's, that's what you've got to bear in mind there. But I, I think now, in the past, trying to do too much yourself, big mistake, big no-no. And also, if somebody's really good at something and you can compliment what they do, and they can come to what you do. Why wouldn't you? You know, why wouldn't you be Lennon and McCartney? Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who's going who's to say no to that invite? Or Cannon and Ball. <laughs> or Cannon and Ball. Yeah. Yeah. Or Peas and Carrots. <laughs> and, and, and should we stop there? Let's stop there. All right. Or Davies and Evans. Yeah. Oh, the dream. See, I didn't say Evans and Davies. I was tempted. Alphabetical. <laughs> <laughs> Erica, thank you. Thank you so much, Chris. It's awesome. been a pleasure. Awesome. Why do I love Erica Davis? Because when I was talking to her, when she was sitting here in this studio at the top of the news tower, she just emanates positivity. You know when sometimes you're just in the company of someone and you think, if I stay around this person for long enough, my life will get better? That's Erica Davis, today's guest on How to Wear, brought to you with M&S Plank Kitchen, launched in January 2019. 
The first vegan-friendly range took the meat-free world by storm. There are now over 100 products in the range. I know because I think we have that many in our fridge and in our cupboards since we started working for them. This could be the best gig ever. I am getting paid. Yes, we are getting paid to talk about M&S Plant Kitchen and eat their food. Whether you're going veggie, avoiding meat and dairy or simply incorporating more plant-based foods into your diet, the M&S Plant Kitchen range makes every meal or snack delicious. If you don't believe me, for as little as £2.50, you can find out with their plant no chicken gyoza. Or for £3.50, the plant kitchen no beef burger. Or the plant kitchen chorizo puppies. Hey, M&S. Nice. How to Hour brought to you with M&S Plant Kitchen. Please rate and subscribe.